on the viewpoint dispossession displacement dehumanization and distortion critical themes in the wonderful works it's a work of history it's a work of art but more than that it is some deep political work that has done much to advance the correcting of certain historical wrongs, not least of those historical wrongs, was everybody's probable collective understanding of the triangle of 100 years of war, wars of dispossession, previously referred to as the frontier wars. But then there's a nomenclature that is wrong when you talk about frontier. It assumes, so J.J. Class would say, it assumes there were boundaries that were in dispute. That is what is intrinsic in the term frontier. Look, I think if you know anything about Eastern Cape history, you already have a sense as to where this conversation is going, not least because I've mentioned the guest, Dr. Jongi J. Class Umsutu Omle now. In April earlier this year, he was the Monday lecture presenter. And on that particular evening, he took us through what had been his research that at the time was going through the publishers. We now know it's the UJ Publishing House, and he'll tell us more about that. That book is now official. It's out. It's available. It is in record for all time's sake. Professor Pires now has somebody else who's his equal who talks about the history of the Kosa community in particular, but more more broadly speaking, it, it, it touches on the colonial project and how some other projects beyond the colonial project might have found fertile ground in what is now referred to as South Africa, but more broadly speaking, Southern Africa and the entire imperial project. Apartheid obviously then found fertile ground to establish itself because for a hundred years, in the critical triangle of the Eastern Cape around Port Elizabeth, around Cradock, all the way through to Butterworth, the former trans guy, those areas played host to one of the longest battles in recorded history. But beyond that being just a battle or a war, call it what you will, it was a significant historical time for how resistance was engaged, how heroes emerged, and how in these events, the defeat of the British generals lent itself perhaps even to the brutality of the ways that they would further engage not just South Africa or Southern Africa, but other colonial projects. And in is, it is in this account, it is in this story, where the dispossession, the subsequent displacement and the resultant dehumanization from the telling of a story from the side of a particular loser or open close quote of victor comes the distortion this project now by dr jongi class is a correction of those historical wrongs so i'm not going to ask you a question Baumsutu. now that the project is at the stage at which it is at now that you have continued on the road show particularly schools in the eastern cape mkubiso ben's hill saint andrews a very important school in the eastern cape a very traditional boys school private school that has its roots from the united kingdom where gramstown itself was the land where a lot of these battles were taking place i mean even grahamstown is a colonial 
result, the town's name. So I'm not going to ask you questions. Refresh, jog our memory, but more importantly, this project, its aspirations, where you need to see it or where you want to see it, and its value to society, for instance. Um, thank you so much, Songs, and uh, thank you to everyone who's listening this evening, talking on this important topic. I think I like lo- your last line, where you talked about saying this project is the correction of the wrongs. You are so correct. And we are, for your own information, I was surprised to learn that the person who wrote the history of that province, the last person was was African, was Henderson Soka in 1930. Uh, between then and now, it, we, we see this book coming 93 years later and trying to correct the wrongs of the past. In terms of moving forward, as you've alluded to these processes of dispossession, displacement, dehumanization, and commodification, where are we now and where are we going? My point in this book is that this is not just a book to correct tragedy of distorted history, but it's, it's a book to say, having gone through those four stages, how then now do we reverse that process? Uh, Songs, what I can say to you is the biggest war that we are facing as this generation is the war of the mindset. Uh, Is the war of the mindset that is inextricably linked to the deep-seated psychological and sociological effect of those four processes we mentioned. So we cannot underestimate the the deep-seated psychological effects of this history. And the person who really captures this well songs is Bishop Sikribo Duade. In one of his books he wrote in 1993, I quote, the post-missionary Christianity in Africa, with its links with colonialism, capitalism, and the abstract proclamation of the gospel, has created a deep cultural confusion and left a permanent scar on the souls of the African people. I quote, but by the same token, that history of dispossession, displacement, dehumanization, and commodification is still with us up to the present moment. And how do you see it? You see it in the words of Professor Mzamane where he says, we need now to go through the process of decolonization of our minds. And, and whether we like it or not, we still carry the remnants of that history in the way we think, in the way we, we, we see instances of this colonized mind, where we said, now, let's start now reversing that process. I think this, that's where we are at this stage. Let me ask a question in relation to what over generations will take time to recover. For instance, the colonization of the mind and the mindset in itself, even if one accepts or doesn't accept one's state of perhaps distortion and as a consequence of years of this trauma that one thinks a certain way and it has become normalized, it is a culture, it is a norm, it is just a way. Certain people might not think. They are in fact as traumatized and are minded to reflect on the impact this colonial project that became an apartheid project, that became the result of what commonly is referred to as white privilege 
Is there a case to be made for white communities who are descendants of these gen forefathers mm. who, who came and wrought the destruction on the African continent? Mm. How is their psychology in all of this? Um, I, I think you're asking a very pertinent question. But before maybe we address that, I want to go back to the earlier point we mentioned to say, how do we begin to untangle this psych of colonial mentality? And, and, and now you talk about, for example, the, the, the generations of the white settlers. Mm -hmm. What has actually happened, if I have to draw this, 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 this picture, on one hand, you had people who come from a culture or history of conquest, where they possessed the land, they became producers. And they're still producers even today. Mm -hmm. On one hand, we have got the group who were dispossessed, displaced, commodified, and, and so on and so on. What they happened at the end, they became consumers. Mm -hmm. All they did was to consume. And to a great extent, even today, they are still consumers mm -hmm. because of that history. So I think what, what is often lacking in our history is the ability to create a link between then and now. Mm -hmm. To say, if you look at the African communities, ask yourself, why most of us are consumers? Mm -hmm. Why most of us, what we do is to consume? Mm -hmm. It's because we never owned means of production. We are a generation that was brought up in a landless situation we have never owned the means of production. And therefore, they were not brought into a culture of producing anything. On the other hand, we've got a generation that was brought up as landowners, producing um, production from the land, producing knowledge, producing everything, mm -hmm. because that, that's a generation that owns. So the biggest challenge now we face is how do we, how do we transcend from this colonized psych of consumer mentality and, and to begin to take ownership of that history and to recognize the impact of that history. So those are the challenges that we're facing at the moment. Hence, I call it the war of the mindset. Do you have propositions as to responding to that question? Um, I think for me, if the, 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 the suggestions I have as a historian, where first is to acknowledge that, because the problem sometimes is that when we talk about these issues as historians, was history is often taken as, a, as an old subject. It happened in the past. People always make a, con a misconception that... That it's not present. Yes. And I always make this example to people to say, take your car and drive from Makanda to Port Elizabeth. As you drive there, begin to think that in that place about 170 years ago, you once had 20,000 inhabitants of Africans who lived in that beautiful coveted land. But if you drive there, you don't see those villages. You don't see those locations. You see landowners. My point, therefore, is that that history is still part of us, whether we like it or not. And that history, we still live it even today. And the sad thing is not only in terms of the material gains, in terms of the cognitive thinking that we have. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's engage that history in today's language. It could manifest, for instance, whether it is deliberately linked to it or not, but it could manifest in expropriation of land without compensation. 
it could manifest in the nationalization project, and I'm referring now to the rhetoric mm. and perhaps political policies mm. or the economic freedom in our lifetime strategies mm. of the economic freedom fighters. It, it, it could be, in response to what you are saying, it could be manifesting like that in the political context of today. It could be um, RET, Radical Economic Transformation, to use perhaps ANC-affiliated language. In the more broader policy context of the country, it's affirmative action, triple BEE, and the address of historical wrongs, HDIs, and particularly the Broad-Based Economic Empowerment Act, and preferential procurement and all of those things. Perhaps then, these things that we are engaging today are not abstract to what you are referring to in the historical context. Mm. How then should that be packaged without it offending because you mentioned any of these things that I mentioned now someone is going to be offended for whatever the reason he or she decides to be offended or is offended it is language that is offensive because it it, it takes away from somebody who has it displaces somebody in a particular vantage point and it it disturbs if you will what we have come to accept as normal, whatever normal might mean to whoever. So when you're talking about the present-day context of that history, mm. how in this political context, in this socio-economic context of South Africa, do you address it? I, I, I hear your songs on that, but my point probably as a social scientist and as a historian is, before we can talk about the material possessions, for example, I'll make one example. Mm -hmm. You've had cases in our country where apparently people were given certain farms to own. And years down the line, you saw it on the newspapers saying those farms now have run aground. And everyone is asking a question why the people who were given farms are not able to manage those farms. And that is reduced into certain parts of this population that they can't run these farms, they mm -hmm. can't own, they can't do it. Mm. And it ends there. Therefore, my point, that is the part that is missing in our debate, that we, we, we fall short of going deeper to say, why when people are given these farms are often failing to run them? And you don't explain it further. I think that's where people like us come in to say, the missing point in all these debates you are mentioning about land, about the political rhetoric, about re addressing the past. The missing link here, what I've, I've noticed in my case, is, 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 is the issue of addressing the war of the mindset. Are we ready to own the land? We should ask ourselves those questions. Are we? Yes. There's those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. What's the answer? Uh, yes. But my question is, are we ready to own the means of production? Are our mindset ready? So my point is that we need to go through that process of decolonization of our minds to address and acknowledge that that legacy of dispossession, displacement and so on is still with us. What does acknowledge look like? What does it feel like? What does it read like well, when you say acknowledge what 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 exactly is it enough to acknowledge and say i acknowledge as i hereby have just said or is the acknowledgement part of a greater series of events that take place that then yield particular results 
on milestones over a period of time that then when after say 20 years or mm. 30 years for instance you mm. say this has now been acknowledged and this is how it has been acknowledged this is the result of the acknowledgement this is the result of the acknowledgement and who importantly mm. is acknowledging what I think you're asking a pertinent question. Uh, as I said, that this whole thing to me, the way I see it, is a process that we acknowledge it, we are willing to address it, we rectify it, and then we go through this process of self-introspection, the process of changing the mindset to say, let us change the way we think. Let us change... Let, let, for example, one of the people who read my book, they said... There was nothing so disheartening about our history when it was a history of defeat. A history where we were portrayed as people who contributed nothing to civilization. And, and, and the type of book that I write is a book that says to people, we should be proud of ourselves, be proud of our forebears, and take courage from the fact that our forebears fought this greatest history. So I think for me, it starts with this self, strong sense of self-confidence to say we can change the situation, we can change the way we think. It starts with us. That, I think that's my point. It may look or sound too abstract, mm, but, mm. but if you, you can imagine if all these years, there's one man who's about 85 years old who says to me, it's the first time for him to hear that Africans once fought three victorious wars, three consecutively. He says, all what he knew then is that we, we, we were hopeless in every aspect. And that impacted the cognitive development, the way we think, our psychology, our confidence. Because we've got, so any country, if you go to China, to Japan, before you can talk about economic emancipation, you must build the history of the generation. Kids must grow up knowing their history being proud of who they are and where they come from. Once then we have established that foundation, then everything else falls into place. I, all I'm trying to say, we should start going back to the basics to tell our children that you, 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 you are the descendants of some of the greatest forebears who fought some of the greatest wars. You can imagine what it does to children. So those things, they may look insignificant, but they are very important. Oh, psychology. Yes. For one psychology, mm. I would imagine it's very important. Look, 2132, time is very much against us. So 86 There are a couple of points that we can discuss here, and it can go any which way, really, to you at home as a listener. You heard this topic. You've been listening to the engagement. How do you feel? Just how do you feel about this as something being discussed? Are you offended? Are you not offended? What are the basis, especially if you are offended? What, what is the basis of your offense? How do we acknowledge 200-year-old historical facts um, now being corrected from centuries of distortion? How do we engage our present circumstance as South Africa with its current challenges against what has been put here by Dr. J.J. Class that a lot of what we experience now comes down to the psychology that has over centuries, 200 years, been the conditioning that an African people are losers, that an African people are not productive or incapable of producing. 
and subsequent to that or consequent to that, built a culture of consumerism. And, and that's an important concession that you have made because we might lament as a people now that Africans consume. Do we understand the context of that consumption? You have taken it now back at least 200 years. There might, other, there might be other interventions even within this 200 years. It's not just the war, but there are other systems that have created consumer. For instance, deliberately keeping out of the means of production through the processes and systems of apartheid. Mm. Dispossession of land. Mm. You can't participate in the economy, and to the extent that you do participate in the economy, it is kept to a Bantu education-compliant way of engaging the economy. That is to be a blue-collared worker, for instance, mm. and keep you as a teacher and a police officer and as a nurse just to regulate the affairs of the homelands. I mean, so it is a deep historical question, one that is, of course, um, going to rile up emotions, but emotions for emotion's sake is not a bad thing unless we don't know how to control them. So I'm saying this as a background to how we perhaps should be engaging these calls. 086-000-2032, please call. But this book, as I have said to Dr. Klass, is it's important in the context of him talking about young people, it can and should become set work. Because this debate we are having, it can be a debate that is happening in the classroom. And if that debate is happening in the classroom, I think it speaks better to perhaps this history that we have been taught or have not been taught. For instance, I only got to know the name Makoma in university because I was schooled with a Makoma. And yet Makoma in the area from which I grew up, Ewutlsi, was an important figure. I grew up on Amakaloneza of Ulinde Uguza Kukanele. Who was Nele? What does that mean? Unele tried to escape Robben Island. He died on his way very close to mainland. Now, what is the significance of that story? What is the significance of the name Unele that I would only find out much later? Only when Umpefumlo Wake was, I don't know what is Uputuma Umpefumlo at sea, but the equivalent would be to bring his soul and spirit back to his people. These are the things that I as an individual have struggled to center myself and my identity around my white friends and colleagues from high school, for instance, who I've fought with extensively in the 20 years since leaving high school, precisely because the more I'm engaging these topics, the more I'm inclined to perhaps disassociate with what I'd assumed to be correct and true. Now, you at home are feeling a certain way about everything that I've just said. It's quite a long soliloquy. We're going to take calls for 10 minutes. After this break, Levi, Mamvui and Bulusho in Mafikeng, Parktown North and Bulugwane respectively. After the break. <laughs> 